Welcome to the STEMness Podcast, a podcast produced at the Cohen College of Engineering at the University of Houston, aimed at celebrating trailblazing women in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. You will hear industry leaders, engineering researchers, and female faculty members at the Cullen College talk about their journeys in STEM and how their work impacts the next generation of female STEMinists. I'm Michelle Patrick Kruger. I'm a PhD student in electrical engineering, and I'm one of your hosts for the STEMinist podcast. Thank you for tuning into this episode, and I hope you enjoy. I'm here with Debbie Korth, the Deputy Program Manager for the Orion Program with NASA, Artemis, about to launch. We're all very excited. But Debbie, first of all, I want to know about you and your background and what got you into engineering because you're about the same age as I am and there weren't a whole lot of women in aerospace engineering at the time. What? How did you get there? Yeah, so um, I was born and raised in South Texas, so my parents are still down there in McAllen, Texas. Um, I have two sisters, and one's in Kansas, one lives in McAllen. So, you know, grew up in a family full of girls um, and had a very strong mom who was always encouraging us to do whatever we wanted to do, everything, anything was possible. So went on to um, Texas A&M University and got my degree in aerospace engineering. I think uh, what got me first interested in engineering was um, I remember being in middle school at Travis junior high there in McAllen and uh, Sally Ride became the first woman astronaut from the United States and it was they brought the TV in on the big cart and we all watched the launch and it was just a really um, just kind of stuck in my mind it was like really there aren't any women astronauts like it just didn't really dawn on me to be paying attention to it so um, got me really interested in space um, as I got through high school really found that I liked math and physics. I, physics was one of my favorite classes when I started learning you know, calculus and physics and how there were all of these math problems that governed you know, velocity or distance and acceleration and how they related or you know, just, I, I found it fascinating there was so much math out there that, that could predict you know, things that happened. And so I really liked physics and math in high school. So that kind of got me the f- first interested and went to A&M. And you're right, there were, in my class of 50 aerospace engineer graduates in the class of 91, there were only two females. So not a very popular program with women at the time. Mostly guys in the core were in there, but um, just really enjoyed the aerospace aspects. And so that's that's how I got to to where I am. And then when I graduated college, I came to work for NASA contractor and worked for contractors for about 10 years and then got my job directly with NASA in 2005. So. Nice. Okay. So this is a side note and, uh, you know, you may not care, but I actually lived in Sally Wright's neighborhood. So as I was a kid growing <laughs> up, she was doing her jogging and exercise. Did you really? I grew up in Middlebrook over there. And yes, it was very, it, actually yeah. she inspired me as well, mm-hmm. um, which is, she did a lot for many people of our, many women of our generation. Yeah, yeah, it was great. great. Mm-hmm. Okay, so and I'll edit that out. No, that's good. That's good. <laughs> edit that out. Uh, so you started in 2006, you said. And what projects have you worked on at NASA? So I started at NASA in 1991, okay. and I started um, dabbling a little bit of mission operations, but pretty much uh, focused in what was called Life Sciences Directorate, okay. and it was building. Um, uh, medical experiments for the space shuttle program. So we would work with uh, PhDs and MDs that were on staff with NASA 
and they would design experiments looking at how the human body is affected by space. And so we were the engineering group that supported them. So they would say, well, I want to know, I want to measure blood pressure and heart rate on reentry. And so we would go find devices or help design devices um, that could be certified for space flight and then work with the, the doctors to figure out what data do you want to collect or the PhDs, what is your science about, and then fly that equipment and then help get the data back after each flight. So spent a lot of years doing that for the space shuttle program. Um, and then uh, focus more in on exercise countermeasures. So when you're in space, um, you start losing bone and muscle mass very quickly because you're not weighting yourself with any gravity. And so one of the big things that NASA does to help prevent that is exercise and, and, and a lot of load-bearing exercise, so resistive exercise or running on a treadmill. And so um, got into to designing and building exercise equipment for space shuttle and then space station. Um, so as a part of that, we developed what's called the crew healthcare system that was on the International Space Station, still up there today. So station's been flying for 24 years, I think it's been constantly manned since since 1998. Um, so that's where I first started off uh, doing mostly that and then evolved into um, the Orion program from there. Wow, that's exciting. So you were part of the treadmill with the naming of it when it was uh, <laughs> Stephen Colbert. They were naming it after Colbert. Was that were you were part of it? That was after me, actually. Okay. Yeah, so we had built an initial treadmill that was on station. And when they built the, the replacement one, when ours had been up there for 10 or 12 years, that was the naming. So I, I kind of left life, life sciences at that point and had started working for what was at the time called Constellation Program, uh, which then evolved into the Orion. So... Orion, yeah, I'm so excited, and I am so excited for you too because it's just amazing to see what you've done, yeah. and you've always been very interesting to hear all the things you've done and and learned and and accomplished. That's the word. <laughs> um, and so with Orion, what what really is the significance? I mean, you know, a lot of people don't really know, and it's it's not the same as it was back in the '60s when we were going to the moon. The first time. Mm -hmm. So there's Orion and Artemis. And so how does Orion fit in the Artemis project? Okay. Yeah, no, very good question. Um, so Orion is the actual spacecraft that will be flying the crew members in. So it's the only spacecraft that NASA has that can do deep space exploration. So if you watch any uh, NASA news, you'll hear a lot about the Dragon flights, uh, SpaceX flights to space station. So very capable capsule, but it can't do deep space. There's different uh, temperatures you have to withstand upon re-entry, uh, different loads you see, a higher radiation environment, um, a different communications network. You can't use GPS when you're not around the Earth. Um, and so uh, the Orion spacecraft is designed to be NASA's exploration spacecraft. So how it fits into Artemis, so Apollo, which almost everybody's familiar with from the history books, um, was the the, the lunar missions uh, back in the 60s and 70s. Um, our Artemis is the equivalent of Apollo. Um, Artemis was the twin sister of Apollo in Greek mythology. So that's why it was named as it was, because um, Artemis is a program, includes Orion, but it also includes the Space Launch System rockets. If you see any pictures of Orion on the launch pad, um, it sits on top of the, the biggest, the, the most powerful rocket NASA's ever built. Um, and so that's the space launch system. And then Artemis will also include things like the landers that will go to the surface of the moon, um, an orbiting platform around the moon called the Gateway. So Artemis is a collection of all of these um, transportation elements, habitation elements, and like support things like communication systems required to do lunar missions. So when we talk about Artemis 1, which is the launch coming up 
on hopefully November on, on August 29th, this coming Monday, um, that'll be our first test flight of a couple of those components, the Space Launch System and the Orion spacecraft. And then as we move along, we'll be adding on landers, we'll be adding on gateway elements as we go along. So that's how the two relate. So um, the Artemis One mission that's coming up on uh, Monday, um, like I said, is a test flight. So uh, we've flown three test flights of Orion, different, different varieties. Two of those uh, test flights were for um, testing our, what's called our abort system capability. So if you look at the spacecraft, you see a kind of a white pointy tip, that's the launch abort system. And that's just there in case during the launch phase, there's a problem with the rocket. It pulls the crew capsule away from the whole spacecraft and gets the crew to safety. So after a few minutes, that's jettisoned. We don't use it anymore for the rest of flight. Um, and then the rest of the mission is the crew module, what we call the service module, which is attached as two pieces make up the spacecraft. Service module provides propulsion and power and all of the commodities that you need to feed a crew module. And then the crew module is where the crew eventually will live and work. So, so the, the main point of this test flight is um, to test out all of those systems before we put crew on board and do a lot of testing on the ground, but there's some things you can only test in the space flight environment. So, so with the crew, now, um Apollo and Mercury only were able to have three crew members. How many crew members will be on Orion? Uh, Orion can hold four crew members for up to 21 days. So it's considerably more capable. Um, it's about 314 cubic feet of uh, living space. Apollo was about 200, so it's about 30% larger. Um, and uh, so the four crew members um, for, for 21 days, and then if their missions are longer than that, then they would be docked to a gateway um, that would provide additional life support. And so the, in designing it, you know, I, I noticed in going to the um, Saturn that's on display mm -hmm. out at NASA, it seems very similar to the Mercury capsule. Did you build off of the Mercury capsule mm -hmm. when you did your design or was there other analysis to make sure that this design was the optimal design. Yeah, I think in general, you'll see the shapes very similar to Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo, so the Apollo capsule. So the physics really haven't changed when you're coming back at the speeds from the moon, it's about 25,000 miles per hour. The spacecraft heats up to about 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit. So that, that whole shape, um, Apollo got right. That's what you need. That's the shape you need, that blunt body shape to dissipate the heat around the spacecraft. So very similar in that regard, but that's probably where the similarities end. Um, a lot of different um, internal things like uh, the computers that we have. We've got multiple computers, obviously, with a lot more processing power than what they had during Apollo. Um, we have a lot more what we consider crew survival um, equipment. So if there was an anomaly, the crew can can get back home. So if we accident, you know, somehow had a depress of the capsule while we're going around the moon, we actually have suits that the crew can live in for up to six, I think it's 144 hours. They can get food and nutrition in, they can get waste out, you know, so things, things like that, that, you know, I think we're a little more attuned to, you know, what do we do to reduce the risk on the crew? Uh, there's also things like a galley for, for food, you know, hydrating food as opposed to, you know, prepackaged foods. Um, there's a, a bathroom, there's exercise equipment. So a lot of things that we put in the spacecraft to make it better for the crew long term. Um, the heat shield itself is one of our, is pri our primary test objective on this flight. So it's a unique heat shield made out of a, a material called Avcoat. So it's actually a different material than Apollo used. Um, and uh, it's first time we'll be flying this heat shield design will be on this flight. So um, so there are a lot of, looks a lot of same, but a lot a lot of differences inside. 
Well, it's, it's interesting to see how one has inspired the other. And of course, all the computing and stuff has grown much of it because of the Apollo program, which is amazing. I'm <laughs> so glad that we were able to contribute and learn from it and grow from it. So just in general, how do you feel? about this i mean yeah. <laughs> what's your what's your state of yeah it's a lot of excitement apprehension a little nervousness of course um i've been working on the orion program since 2000 and uh five ish i guess is when i moved over so it's been a long time coming and like I said, we've had several test flights um, we had, like I mentioned the two flights of the launch abort system. We also had a test flight called Exploration Flight Test 1 in 2014. So that was the first time we flew the crew capsule. Uh, but on this mission, we're adding the service module. So that first spacecraft test flight, EFT-1, didn't include the service module. Since then, we've entered into a partnership with, Europe, with the Europeans to provide that service module. So it is the workhorse. It's the, all of the power and propulsion. And so it'll be the first time we're doing those propulsion maneuvers. I think there's something around 24 or 25 different combinations of engine burns that are planned. Um, the mission we're going on is a 43-day mission, so it's a really long mission. It's um, we'll, we'll launch out of the Kennedy Space Center and then um, get into low Earth orbit and then the, the upper stage of the rocket will send us on our way to the moon. And uh, we're going into what's called distant retrograde orbit. So it's a very large elliptical orbit around the moon, but we will spend a lap and a half there. So it's about a 42-day mission, so a really long mission to ring out. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a little nervous. It's going to be a long 43 days and, and a lot of things to check out, you know, make sure that we got it right. Um, but really super excited. I think, you know, there's a lot of people on the team like me that have been working at this for a long time. And, you know, we just passed the flight readiness review yesterday with the agency. So we got the go uh, from the agency leadership to press for launch. So I couldn't be more excited, um, more proud of the team. Like I love the people I work with. They just are these experts in these really you know, unique fields and they've dedicated their lives to it. Like you don't work at NASA to get rich. You work there because you really like enjoy and just thrive on the space program and um the, the people i work with they're just so passionate about what they do so i just i can't wait to see everyone's reaction when this thing eight it's eight and a half minutes of 8.8 .8 million pounds of thrust to get us off the ground and um i just can't wait to see everybody after you know a successful mission and um to see how happy everyone's going to be so is there a um, celebration sort of pre-planned or in the works for it's it in went. the works yeah yeah the program nothing official you know yeah uh, it all has to be you know people funding it themselves since we're government but they're um we're planning a few things at the kenny space so there's some things leading up to the launch so several friends and family events for people that can go out there you know lots of fireside chats planned for the public so we can help keep inform folks that are out there what's going on uh, things will be set up in the kennedy space center visitor center so we'll have people there you know three or four days outside a launch passing out information and just making the public aware of what they're going to see and yeah i'm sure there'll be a lot of parties after it's going to be it'll be rough the um the the launch is at 7 33 a.m central um so it's 8 33 eastern but we have to be out in positions in different places around 2 to 3 a.m so people will be up in the middle of the night getting getting ready and then um um, I'm not part of what's called the mission management team. I, I'm on it for the flight, but not for the launch phase. Um, that that team actually, after we launch the next day, they get on a plane to come back home to get into the control center here because there's actually people in the control center working that are going to be supporting launch. So, yes, there'll be some parties, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how do you get invited to the launch? What does that take? 
Yeah, you know, there's uh, there were ways of getting uh, launch passes. They're called vehicle passes, where if you know an employee, they can bring you on. The good thing about Kennedy Space Center is it's so wide open, and there's so many public parks and beaches. I mean, just all on the beach in Cocoa Beach, you can see the launch pads. So um, to get on site for the launch, like actually on KSC proper, typically takes knowing an employee that can get a car pass, and then they can put up to eight people in their car and come on site. If you have eight seatbelts, it has to be like a seatbelt for every person, but you're allowed to up to eight passengers um, with a car pass. But a lot of people down there, like I said, just walk out to the beach. There's a bunch of public um, beach uh, parks that have really great views. Wow. I bet all those hotels are reserved already. They are booked. Yes, everything's booked. So if you're going to go, you're going to be staying in Orlando and having to drive over. But. So what if the August 29th launch doesn't take? What are, um, What's the backup plan? Yeah, so for every month, we have about two weeks of launch window. You know, it's all based on where the moon is and where we want to go. So um, we have uh, another opportunity on the 2nd of September and then a third opportunity on the 5th. So we've got three opportunities it just and, and sometimes more in that window. It depends on how much we fuel the spacecraft and where we are in the countdown. So if we have to scrub early because of weather, then there's a chance you can go the next day. But if you're down to the last few minutes before launch and you've got the vehicle for fully fueled, um, it can be a longer time in between that to, to top off fuels and things. So, um, so it'll be, you know, target August 29th. It is a test flight. So, you know, there's, you know, first time we're going to be doing all this. So we'll see if we can get it off the ground on the 29th. If not, it'll be September 2nd, and then again, the 5th. And if, if we miss that launch window, it'll be another one opens up. I think it's around September 16th. So next one opens up for us. All right. Well, so now you know your backup dates for hotel reservations. <laughs> Go ahead and make them now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, so all of what you do is just amazing, but I just would like to talk about you personally a little bit and some of the things you've experienced. So what do you think is the most interesting things or, or what is, what's been the most interesting thing you've worked on um, at NASA? Yeah, boy, I, you know, probably a couple of things. I think um, I, I had the opportunity, like I said, to work on the life sciences equipment. And, and I, you know, working a lot with the PhDs and docs on what's really happening to the human body uh, when they're in space and trying to counteract that. It was fascinating to learn, you know, when you talk about wanting to take crew um crew members to Mars. You know, we go to the space station. We've had people living up there, like I said, since 1998. We know a lot about living and working in low Earth orbit and ways to keep the crew healthy. But when you're talking about sending people to Mars, it's a seven to nine month journey just to get there. And so it was fascinating to me to see all of the physiological things that happen um, and then the ways that uh, the docs and the MDs have figured out how to counteract that. So that was really interesting early in my career. Um, I think right now the most interesting thing is, is watching this spacecraft come together. You know, a part of engineering, I was aerospace engineering, but I really haven't done a lot of aerospace pure engineering. It's been more project engineering and what I call systems engineering, which I find fascinating because in, in the spacecraft, we have all of these experts in propulsion or structures or thermal protection systems or parachutes. And in, it's the interaction between all of these systems to me that I find really fascinating. And I think that's kind of systems engineering. You know, if the, the structures guy comes and says, well, those loads are too big. I need to add a little more structure. 
well, then that means we're going to come in a little faster during reentry. So the TPS guy, thermal protection guy, says, well, I got to add more thermal protection. So now I've made my spacecraft heavier. Well, then the parachute guy's like, well, wait a minute, I you know have to control the descent. We're supposed to splash down from. I think the, the parachute's open at around 300 miles an hour, and then it hits the water at less than 20. So the heavier it gets, and that's harder for the parachutes to do their job. So, you know, I think that. Um, seeing how all the systems interact and that's just one very simple example is just you can't do anything without affecting the other systems around you and so i think that's probably the most interesting part of the job is is not any one area but just how the interactions work nice well you have come a very long way from (laughs) the very beginning as we both know but what would be the next steps for you going forward i know you just received you just were promoted to this position Mm -hmm. but you know, in the five, 10 years, <laughs> what, what are your goals in the five year, 10 year? You know? I think, um, you know, like I said, this mission's our uncrewed mission. And so I really want to stay through uh, on Orion through Artemis two. So Artemis two will be our first crewed flight. Um, and that's in the 2024 timeframe. And then Artemis three will be the first boots back on the moon. And that's 25, 26 timeframe. And it's going to be the first woman on the moon. So I'm really, you know, I love Orion. I love the program. And I think we're just now getting into the the really exciting part where we're going to start flying and learning. So, you know, I, I see myself, you know, staying in Orion as long as they, they want me to, because it's just, uh, you know, that boots on the moon and, and seeing all that happen is going to be really unbelievable. Nice. Well, you have had a lot of experience, I'm sure both good and bad, but sounds like mostly good. Mostly good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and let me ask, what advice would you give? I, I know you've mentored many, many people. Maybe let me rephrase this. Normally I would ask what advice you give somebody, but let me rephrase this. In mentoring people, what are some suggestions, career advice suggestions that you give to those that you mentor? Um, I think, you know, a couple things is uh, look for the challenges. So I think folks can get really comfortable in a job they're in. And I think the, the more you can move around and get different experiences builds a better leader. So if you're interested in, in becoming a leader, it, you, I think getting those variety of experiences um, and finding a mentor or an advocate that you respect, you know, that's one thing NASA's really big on is mentoring. And, and I, I was lucky not necessarily in a formal mentor program, but um, had a, a boss that was really an advocate for me for most of my career. Met him in life sciences and sort of like followed him through Constellation program and then into Orion. So, you know, I think my advice would be, you know, look to the leaders that you respect and 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 build those relationships so that they can mentor you because I think that you can learn a lot from from the folks that you work for that you you know really admire and build those advocacies and those relationships. Um, let's see. I think also in, in engineering, I mentioned the interplay between systems. You know, I, I, when I went into engineering, I always had this vision, oh, I'm just gonna be sitting at a desk or a computer. At the time, we didn't have computers on our desk, but at a desk, you know, drafting things or drawing things or running calculations. And and there's definitely that part of being an engineer. But, if, but I also think um, there's the whole interaction part of it, the systems engineering, the communications with other people. So if you, you know, a lot of folks that go into engineering don't always feel like they have the strongest communication skills. And I think it becomes more and more important as you move along your career to be able to communicate. So, you know, take some classes, do the, do the things that are uncomfortable, give up and give the speeches, you know, uh, talk to the crowds. It's, um, it's definitely helps you grow. And I think, you know, becoming a better engineer and a better manager, you have to be able to communicate um, it isn't just sitting and doing your your one little part of the, the program. That sounds like great advice. Yeah. Thank you very Thanks. much. And um, 
just say, is there any, any one last thing you'd want to end on or? Um, just, you know, I, I, I like working at NASA. It's one of my, I mean, I've always wanted to be here. I love it. Um, and I think, you know, I went into engineering. My sister's a math professor and the other one's an accountant. So we all kind of went into sort of these mathy fields. Um, I, I'm encouraged to see, you know, huh? oh, how things have changed since I came in, you know, to this area. You know, more and more women getting into STEM fields, I think, is great. Um, and so I would just encourage people, you know, whatever it is that uh, you uh, want to do, just put your all into it for sure, you know, and, and you can make, make be whatever you want to be. Outstanding. Now, there is one other thing that I'd like to tell you. You know, you know, you were the subject of gossip one time in a neighborhood. Oh, no. <laughs> and, then, and they said, oh, yeah, someone said in a meeting that Debbie Korth was in that, well, explain it like you're going to explain it to your mom. And Debbie was like, what are you talking about? My mom was brilliant. She would totally understand all of this stuff. Yeah, so yeah. can you tell me a little sure, bit? Sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think... I've been lucky that in most places I've worked, there's been very progressive bosses. And so I should mention my, my con, one of my first jobs with a contractor, um, I had my first child. This is well before teleworking and part-time working. And I was debating whether to come back. And, and he said, look, just write down what you want to do. Like, just make a proposal. And I did. I said, okay, well, here's the pros and cons. And here's what I can do at work. And here's what I can do at home. And we created a telework program, part-time telework program. This is back in the 90s, you know, to to allow me to keep working. So um, in that case, it was like, you know, well ahead of his time. It was actually Joe Kerwin. He was an astronaut on the Skylab. And he was the boss of my company at the time. So, but but after that, the, the story you're talking about, um, I was in a, a, a meeting and uh, the a gentleman was presenting a chart on the rocket actually. And he said, um, I call this my mom chart because I, um, it's so simple. Even a mom can understand it. <laughs> I was sitting in the room and I kind of looked around like, I thought, I can't believe he just said this. Like there's other women in the room that are probably moms. And, and it wasn't like my, he didn't say it's what my mom can understand. It was a mom can understand. And so I kind of went up to him afterwards and said, you know, I, I'm usually like let things roll off my back. I said, but I really don't think that was appropriate. You know, and he's like, Oh God, I didn't even think about that being offensive, you know, like can, and immediately shut it down. But yeah, it was, an interesting um, experience for sure. Well, thank you for doing that. Because <laughs> as the mom who actually did have to make that choice to step back from a career with kids and all the other stuff, that is one thing that people are always saying, explain it like a mom. Yeah. It's something that was made it a little bit harder that I stepped back from that mm -hmm. and I get talked down to. So, well, thank you very much. I am going to end our interview here. All right. Yeah. Say it again. So just don't forget to have your TVs on uh, Monday morning, 7.33 a.m. here in Houston on August 29th. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Steminist Podcast. Tune in next time where we'll be hearing from more amazing women in STEM. Want to listen to more podcast episodes? Check out our podcast website at www.egr.uh.edu to listen and subscribe today.